Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cool Petum here as always. And of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a brilliant come from behind draw at Villa Park to all against Man United, Jacob Ramsey and Philippe Coutinho leading the way on the score sheet, but more so that man, that little magician, Emmy Buendia, just making all the engine parts tick, I guess you could say. I came up with that on the spot, so hopefully that makes sense. But nonetheless, it's not just me here because who wants to listen to that? We do have the returning Tom Nightingale here with me. So hopefully join us for the next half hour, 40 minutes, eternity or so, because we do like to ramble. But nonetheless, Tom, how's it going for you? Yeah, hard to be hard to be too displeased, really. Like We've been on the end of so many uh, rough results against United over the years. Um, I've you know, well documented that the the, the um, record against them at Villa Park is absolutely terrible. Um, we did a we did a sort of live pod on uh, Friday night, and we were all full of optimism, I think. <laughs> and then you get in, and obviously, two really poor goals to concede midway through the second half. You're thinking all the air has just been sucked out of that balloon. But then you know. What a turnaround, what a comeback. It's just so good to see having, we, you know, I feel like we've had one, two goal leads against United so many times over the years and then they have just come back at the death and we've been left feeling like we've lost even if we've drawn. Complete opposite. Like it's hard, it was hard not to come away from that game thinking two things. One, almost feeling like we've won for so many reasons, the context of the cup defeat and everything leading into it, you know, the nature of the comeback. But also on the flip side, like, almost coming away from that being two nil down until 76 minutes, almost coming away from it, feeling a little bit aggrieved that we haven't gone on to win. You know, you kind of felt like it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that we could have won. Um, But you can't be too disappointed. Can you really with that? No. And I kind of sit back on it and like, of course the, the amazing comeback in the last 20 minutes, I think, I don't want to say it's paper over the cracks, but in some ways it is, but when you think of the whole context of the game and a lot of people look and say it's another tale of two halves and that's a very fair statement to make. But to be fair, Tom, we did have decent chances in the first half, albeit we were absolutely crap for the first probably 25 to 35 minutes where albeit they were pressing us. And I know the commentary team that I was listening to, or I guess we both were with the, the zone memberships, but um, they're both kind of um, complimenting Man United's passing game and their press and everything like that, which just frustrated me because it was not even that great of a press. We just weren't there as per typical. If if we have a fantastic start, we finish poorly and vice versa. But again, I, I just feel like it's one of those games where I'll, aside from the mistakes, I, I have to give plaudits to David De Gea, to be honest. He made some fantastic saves and it could have probably been one all. You would probably have to say, 
at halftime. And again, maybe that's another thing that papers over the cracks, but to kind of go from one extreme to the other with the Emmy Martinez blunder, which I don't want to touch on too much because it, it, it's something that happens. It's a mistake. They're human. Um, these things do occur from time to time. And then to go to uh, Sanson's poor back pass, which we were talking before this, of course. And I feel like I've seen that about 60,000 times in my lifespan of supporting Villa, particularly in the last couple of seasons, that's become kind of a, something of a little bit of a consistency. And then, like I just said, the, the crazy comeback through Ramsey and Coutinho, how do you kind of break that down and where do you kind of sit with it all in particular? I mean, it was a, it was a weird one, wasn't it? Because I th- feel like it, it was universally sort of accepted among Villa fans that the cup game uh, last week, we outplayed them. I think it's fair to say, really, like the kind of chances we were creating and everything. Like, um, I feel like in our run of confidence and great results last season, we'd have won that game. A bit more of a cutting edge, you know, we'd have won that game. I thought that certainly in the first half um, uh, at Villa Park, it was almost a role reversal, really. I was very disappointed with our start. I thought we were very slow, quite sluggish, and just we didn't look, we didn't really look us up for it. I thought, I, I wonder if maybe there's been a lot of talk over the week about how, you know, we were unlucky to lose in the cup game in front of the fans under the lights. Coutinho, it's going to be different. I wonder if maybe that pressure got to them a little bit at first because I was quite disappointed with the way they started. And on the flip side, I thought that United looked quite a lot better early on than they looked in the cup game. Um, to just touch on the goals that we conceded, I mean, we said this before we started recording, but I'm way more concerned and bothered by the second goal than by the first. Exactly. Um, I think Stephen, the way that Stephen Gerrard responded, I don't know if you saw, but earlier this morning, he, um, I mean, you could see him and Martinez talking after the game, and sort of a, he seemed to be sort of reassuring Martinez that it's you know it's okay, stuff happens, um, which I 100% agree with. Like, how many points has Martinez won for us? Um, everyone everyone has got an error in them and the problem is when you're a goalkeeper and you make one of these errors it often usually probably can uh you know results in conceding a goal there's nowhere to hide is there as a goalkeeper um but i loved what gerard gerard came out um this morning uh sunday morning on instagram and he i don't know if you saw but he posted a photo of his uh his son in a Martinez shirt or in a Villa goalkeeper strip and tag Demi Martinez in it and I I just really like that I think that's a great example of the man management I think we're seeing from Gerard, which is just you know don't worry about it like you've got to like every Villa fan knows the value of Emmy Martinez and I think that was really shown by the fact that I didn't I barely saw any negative response to the error other than like oh shit that's a terrible error you know there was no sort of piling on blaming anything like that which was great to see um, and second goal, like you say, like I feel like we've seen that so many times before. And that's the kind of stuff we, that we have to cut out if we really want to take the next steps um, to where we want to be as a club. Um, I don't know if I'd be I'd, I'd I'd be willing to throw all of the blame on Sanson. I thought the pass from Dina was a, a little bit difficult for Sanson to manage. And then he doesn't really have an option other than bring the ball into feet and try and win a foul which is incredibly risky when you've got Man United pressing forward or to play it first time back as it happens, you know, pass under hit. I don't think, I don't think I've seen some criticism of Tyrone Mings saying like he should have taken Fred out or whatever on the edge of the box. I don't really think that's fair. What I would say is if had Esri Konza been playing instead of Mings, I think Konza would have responded in exactly the same way, which is try and close him down, but you only have a split second to do it. And then the pass and the finish from United was uh impeccable really so like there's not much you can do about it once the pass is short 
those are the kind of mistakes we need to work on. We don't need to, I don't think we need to worry about the one in a million goalkeeper error. It's the making sure that we handle those situations playing out from the back and stuff a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, kind of breaking down the second goal, like the way I saw it. Okay. Like we've seen Mings do poor back passes a few times. And to be honest, I thought he was very, very good yesterday um, overall. And of course he basically initially set up that to, uh, first one I believe it was with some I, the fact that he got through that many United players with that kind of quick little one two in between his feet was massively yeah, impressive his da- showed his dancing feet didn't it yeah a little bit of shithousery and that kind of move and confidence which I, I do like to see because if he loses that we're probably conceding or at least uh well we're going to concede a good chance and potentially even a third goal there so a little bit of risk and reward with that one but Back to that goal, I mean, I, I, you can't really blame him. He's standing his ground. He wants to force. He can tell with his body. He's trying to force um, Fred, was it, I believe, um, to the outside more so than anything. He can't really predict that Fernandez is going to make another run. You have to think, okay, Courtney Hawes um, is caught off guard, and so was every other Villa player now tracking back. I can't remember who if it was Cash or who, el- who else was tracking back as well that maybe um, could have helped with that a little bit better they look like they were jogging back a little bit but again it's it's one of those where it just we're putting players in difficult positions initially where and i mean you're taught this from day one of um kind of any kind of football whether it's just grassroots or whatever it's you know what if you don't have an option maybe it's just better to hoof it up as much as we hate it sometimes i'd rather that than again concede something like that and again i think that's something that might slowly kind of come along. I feel like that's where we're going with Jared. It's those kind of uh, tactical nose things of, I, I guess, I wouldn't say taking cheap fouls, but maybe some shithousery in that too, with staying down extra long, like every top six side seems to do that we get so annoyed about. And now we get annoyed about when we see Jack Grealish do it, which is very ironic, but uh, nonetheless. Um, Tom, if we're, if we're going to dive into one player in particular. Let's start with Emi Buendia. I mean, the man for me, um, for the player ratings I put on the 7,500 to Holt website, I gave him a 10 out of 10. And maybe that's generous summer thinking. But to be honest, he was the main reason for me why we were even still in the game at all. I can't I can't agree more with that. Like, I, thought, I thought it was... I feel like quite a lot recently we've said, oh, that there, that was Emi Buendia's best game so far for Villa. Um, I think we can say it again, honestly, after after this weekend's game. I thought he was the absolute driving force going forward. Like the, the willingness, or the willingness to get the ball into feet, his ability to wriggle out of tight situations we've seen before. But yesterday he was really combining that with a lot of the times nailing the pat, nailing that final pass, no more so than the second goal, that wonderful sort of straight ball that he slipped in for Ramsey, straight into Ramsey's stride. Um, and then Ramsey, of course, did so well to, to pull it across goal on his weaker foot first time. But the, the thing that I liked so much about Buendia yesterday is that the only thing I think that you could, the only criticism you could level at him whatsoever, and that's if you feel like you have to level criticism at him because, you know, there's, there's nothing really to criticise. But the only thing you could criticise, I think, is a couple of misplaced passes. And like the thing is with that is that, you're going to misplace passes. If you're the guy who's getting the ball in midfield and you're looking to unlock defences and play people in and everything, not every pass is going to come off, is it? Like that's not, there's, there's very few players in the world who, who can do that with such accuracy. Um, so that, for me, is not a concern at all because it just shows that he's... We brought him in to look for those kind of passes. I think he had... you know I, I can't remember the exact stats, but he had the most 
the most shot creating actions yesterday for us, the most key passes, the most take ons, I think. Um, this is exactly what we want to see from him, this all round sort of a, a creative side of his game. And another thing that I liked so much about him yesterday was I thought it was a really, really courageous performance. I, I thought he really stepped up, um, was willing to put us on his shoulders for the game in terms of going forward. Because, you know, without McGinn as well, like McGinn, I like what McGinn offers to us creatively. He's got, McGinn, I think, has got a great eye for a pass. And I think he works best when he's trying to link midfield and attack in that way. We didn't have him yesterday. And that's a lot of burden to put on Ramsey, Louise, and, you know, Morgan Sanson, who hasn't still hasn't played very much. Um, and I think Buendia really took that piece of McGinn's game and, and and put it on his own back yesterday. Um, I was just, I, I, I probably also would have given Buendia a, a 10 out of 10, I think, because I thought even in the first half when we were poor, he was the guy making us tick. And then, you know, the roles that he played in driving us on in the second half, uh, it was just fantastic to see. And one thing I would say about him going forward is I'd hope to see, I think it's quite likely we'll see more of the same from Buendia because the thing is now is we've got Philippe Coutinho and like, Having those, having Coutinho and Buendia as your two, you know, whatever you want to call them, number tens, or you know, the sort of narrower, wide attackers that Gerard likes to play. Having those two is just a frightening prospect, I think, and I think it's going to really benefit Buendia because, undoubtedly, Coutinho when he's on the pitch is going to be the main focus. I think for a lot of opposition defenses and defensive midfields, that's probably going to free up a fair amount of space for Buendia because he's he's undoubtedly I think going to be the secondary focus for a lot of teams and yesterday he showed what he can do with even half a yard of space it was really great to see yeah and I mean I, I feel like kind of this is all leading up to one thing and that is uh Ollie Watkins Danny Ings the combination hopefully this is the final nail in that freaking coffin to be honest because I'm I feel I feel bad because to be honest it's weird. I can't say that it hasn't worked out for Danny Ings because I think he's still our top scorer. If not, he's up there. Yeah. And like, I feel like his contribution, albeit it's sparse, it's spread out and it's still there for all to see. And he's come up when we've uh, needed him at times, I, I have to say. But it's just, and I, I don't want to go into it too much because I feel like we've done it a million times on this podcast. But it's why well, I know you have Tom. That's why you're pointing to yourself. But <laughs> but it, it's just frustrating to see two players that. Okay, Watkins did play on the wing. How long again? How long ago was that? And different standards of football, of course, down the leagues as well and divisions. So I understand in theory why it works, but at the same time, it's just two players that want to make the same runs, the same movements, take the same opportunities, getting in each other's yeah. way. Um, the one thing I will say that I will give Ollie Watkins plaudits for is he did cross it to Danny Ings, which I think is the first time I've ever seen that, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope that's the end of it. I mean, I think that you've you've summarized, I think, the one of the biggest issues with it, which is that I do feel that it's very true that they a lot of the time they make the same runs or they at least want to make the same runs. They want to occupy the same space. Like I... I agree with you completely. Like Danny, Danny Ings is always the player I've admired. He's a great finisher. And I think he's a good team player. I just, I don't, the, the problem I, the problem really is just that we're over halfway through the season and this Ings Watkins issue is still an issue. And it's, it's, 
really hampering our play i think like i'm i wasn't particularly surprised i have to say i know there was the obviously the big coutinho effect came on and he was like absolutely key in the two goals that we scored but i also don't think it's a coincidence that once we take danny ings off we stop trying to use him as a focal point we stop chucking trying to chuck crosses into the box for him and everything we we get the ball on the ground we play through the middle both goals come from that like i don't think that's really a coincidence and you know Watkins was our main man last season he's never really played in what you would call like a sort of strike partnership and I then think as well sort of on the flip side I don't I don't really think that Danny Ings is a lone striker and what so what we're trying to do at the moment I don't think works for either player particularly well and so my main concern now is the fact that we see because I think it's probably a consensus among fans haven't you know, obviously be interesting to do a poll, I guess, but I, I would think that most of Villa fans would rather have Watkins as the central focal point in attack than Ings. I know I would. I think he offers a lot more off the ball uh, personally. But my main concern is that at the moment, we as a team and as a club and as a coaching staff seem unwilling to move Ings to accommodate, you know, move Ings to accommodate Watkins in his primary position. It seems to be the opposite, right? It's Watkins who gets shunted out to the left to accommodate Ings being up top. Um, I don't like that. And I think that's, I I said yesterday, midway through the game, like what's happened to, Watkins is still offering us a lot, but what's happened to his finishing and his clinical edge. And I think it's, I hope it's just the system that we're playing with trying to have Ings as the focal point and Watkins off him. Because then if it is that, then you can kind of fix it as long as you're bold enough to drop the 30 million pound summer signing, right? Um, it's just a bit of a shame that we're sat here and we're still talking about it. But I would hope that, like I just like we just said, I I think surely Coutinho and Buendia, when both determined to be fully fit, surely they've got to be the two number tens behind one striker. That means that you're in a position where you have to pick between Watkins and Ings. For me, it's Watkins, but I guess it remains to be seen, right? Well, that's the tricky one. And actually, we did have a question on Twitter asking this uh, from Matthew at M. Long Cincy. Um, he basically, well, we basically asked what we just talked about. Um, how can we make Ings and Watkins combo work or should it be stopped? I think we can both agree it should be stopped. I mean, we've kind of come up at every potential kind of turning point or obstacle in terms of how we can get these two to work, whether it's formations or tactics or whatever. It's just... I don't think it's going to work. We always need it secondary scoring anyways. So, I mean, if you look at every side, realistically, you'd probably say in the top um, eight or so, they usually have two strikers that are pretty decent. Yes, uh, one, well, both really cost over, well, one cost 30, one cost, what, 33 or 35. I can't remember what Watkins cost exactly last summer. but I think it was 33, but yeah. Yeah, so at the end of the day, like we needed it anyways. So, and it's a tricky one kind of when you say with you prefer Watkins over Ings. I, I feel like Watkins brings so much movement and flow that everyone else can benefit where Ings is just your typical goal poacher and he's going to put away the chances when he gets it. I, I, I hate to always say that Ings has a poor game because he's not really being supplied in the runs and everything that he makes. If you look at his game against Southampton, everything was driven up to him to get onto oncoming balls, get into passing lanes and basically just drive at goal. We don't really play that way. We're playing possession, quick one twos and things like that, which benefits Watkins. Now, 
people may argue differently and say, well, if we don't have a striker scoring 10 plus goals a season, we're not going to get in the top eight. To be honest, I could give less than a crap who scores as long as we're winning games. If everyone else is scoring and we have, say, Danny Ings on six goals this year and Ollie Watkins on six, I don't care. Like, as long as we're getting into those objectives, it doesn't really matter who scores. And I feel like that's almost like football folklore that you need like a top striker to be your main goal scorer and outlet for that. Of course it does help, but I don't know. It's I think with Ings and Watkins and to bring it back, I just think it's a matter of maybe Gerard prefers Ings's finishing and hoping maybe we can kind of intertwine that with it. And I mean, we saw Watkins last season. He scored plenty of goals. We know we can do it. Yes, he does need a few more opportunities than probably Danny Ings does. Maybe that's the main kind of focal point that the coaching staff's thinking. But at the end of the day, it's one of those things where I think it just it has to happen. And we haven't even mentioned Bailey's going to be back, hopefully within the next uh, few weeks or a month or something like that, too. So it's going to be interesting to see when you have Coutinho, Buendia and Bailey, um, how you fit that in in the rotation. And again, the depth just gets even greater. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the midfield, Tom, because, of course, John McGinn missed out through accumulation of yellow cards. And albeit a lot of people I saw on Twitter initially when we were one nil down and then two nil down saying he's the main reason we're losing or missing them. I I massively disagree because we've gotten smashed before and uh, John McGinn's been in the side. Um, I think he would have made a good impact, but nonetheless, you look at Sanson having, I'd say a decent first half. And then of course the back pass, we know what happens, gets substituted off. I thought Jacob Ramsey was pretty anonymous for the first, probably 45 and then really came on after halftime into his own. And Dougie Louise, again, tidy, had some good stats um, that I saw the village Twitter put out to, I think, maybe in my opinion, masked it at times a little bit, but overall a good performance. But what did you make of that midfield combo as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I thought that I agree, like the first half, there's no getting away from the fact that in the first half we were really below par in in terms of where we'd like to be and how we'd like to be playing. I thought we were, I thought midfield wise, we looked worse than we looked in the cup game. Um, Obviously it was all changed, you know, it was all changed second half, but I still think second half, obviously the introduction of the introduction of Coutinho gave us a massive impetus, but I also thought how good did Carney Chukwumeka look when he came on, slotted right in, showed, you know, out there proving points, right. With all this stuff going on about his contract, like, and so we're, we're, we're at a point now where it might be time to, reassess the midfield and it's difficult because as we're talking about it we talked about this on friday when we went live on twitter but um the problem is we're talking about all of this without at the moment having a resolution to the defensive midfield problem like i can't i can't really believe that we're not looking for a quality midfield anchor because i still think we need one like i don't think we have a player who does that job particularly well i think the closest we have is nakamba but he has obviously he was improving a lot, but he's blown pretty hot and cold. And then obviously it's going to take him a little bit of time to get back up to speed and up to standard when he comes back from injury. Um, so it's quite difficult to assess until we have a resolution to that defensive midfield thing. But you know, at the moment, talking about like I, I can't believe that John McGinn, like I, he would still be in my team. Generally speaking, obviously you shouldn't just pick players based on reputation or past form or whatever but I think he's a very very hard player to drop I also think Gerard really likes him um so I think McGinn comes back in I think probably Morgan Sanson drops out again 
I think it'd be a bit harsh on him. And, uh, you know, I don't think that should be necessarily taken as a given because I thought he was pretty neat and tidy and, and, and looked pretty good yesterday, you know, mistake aside. Um, but you just, you know, how would you drop, how do you drop Jacob Ramsey right now? Why do you drop Jacob Ramsey right now? You know, and then you in a tough position where, you know, okay, maybe it's time to look at, do you, is Louise the one who misses out? Do you try, do you try Ramsey, Sanson and McGinn and drop Louise to the bench? But then the difficulty there is like, I don't, I don't think it's at all fair to suggest that Douglas Louise has really done anything that's warrant being dropped from the side. In a way, they're good problems to have. But my really, my main concern is that whichever trio you pick in that midfield three, we're missing that one key ingredient of just an out-and-out ball winner. I, I just, it's hard to it's hard to map out the future of our midfield over the second half of the season without having a resolution to this defensive midfield problem. Yeah, it, well, it's one of those things where and everyone's been saying it for ages where we just need that defensive midfielder where you can move Louise out to the left or the right or whatever, playing a little bit further up. He can play as the kind of backup DM if we need it. Again, it creates more competition for the wider central mid places. And we haven't even mentioned Carney Chukomeka, to be honest, who came on and, I mean, he proved a point that he probably should be getting a little bit more game time, but... Where do you sit with him in particular? And I guess we can talk about the the subs, and then I want to move on to uh, our new left back, of course, because I, I think he made a, a very good account of himself um, as the game progressed. You look at Chukameka, who, honestly, as soon as he came on, of course, he came on for Ings, things changed, and you already mentioned it, Tom, that as soon as that happened, it, just, it was free-flowing, everything was just going our way, it seemed like. I mean, he is a main factor in both goals for, I guess if you can say, um, not secondary, but third assists, <laughs> if, if that was ever a thing. Uh, major factor in both. Um, of course, we look at Coutinho coming on, making a massive difference, becoming that focal point to almost be a distraction as well for the United midfield and defense to kind of worry about as well. And it's just, and again, plaudits to Courtney Haas for coming on at halftime. We haven't even mentioned him, and really, he didn't skip a beat, and he uh, did everything really you need for a, a left-footed center back playing on the right-hand side. Um, to have two left-footers is pretty, um, quite rare, I, th- I think, on the same uh, pitch being in the center back role. But for one, what did you make of Chuck Amaka yesterday, and two, the uh, substitutions as a whole? I thought Carney came in and looked uh, like a natural really you know like he he clearly has a point to prove and it's fair enough i think like it, it's difficult with with chuck maker and the contract stuff because i don't really see as personally as a club what we could have done more this season for him like gave him his premier league debut like he's i think some, something like i can't remember what this stat is but he's one of the youngest players to play in the premier league to start a game in the premier league this season um you know, he's getting those minutes, but the thing is, is we do have a lot of, we have a lot of central midfield options, even with Nakamba out and even before the possibility of signing a new defensive midfielder. My thing with Chuck Rumaker is I think that he's shown that when he does come on and play in the midfield, either coming in from the start or coming on as a sub, um, I think he operates best as the sort of spearhead of the midfield three, the one who's allowed to get forward and link up. We saw it, we saw it at Villa Park against United mm-hmm. um, in the second half. And so then that again, sort of, you know, if you were to play him and accommodate him in that role, that means you're tasking the other two, whether it's Louise, McGinn, Sanson, Ramsey, 
you're tasking them with a lot more defensive responsibility, I think, than if you played either with a flat three or with, you know, two flat midfielders and then a, a DM who sits. Um, it, it's, it's this balance, right? And I, I just think, I just long-term looking at Chuck Maker, or at least maybe not long-term, but big picture, I hope he sees the fact that at Villa at the moment, like he might not be a regular starter, but like he's 18 years old, for God's sake, like he's getting quite a lot of time. There are a lot of people in midfield that he can learn a lot from, not least now, you know, bringing in like Coutinho as well to, you know, learn from him in the attacking sense. Gerard as manager, like you feel like Gerard and his staff are pretty inspirational figures to help with a young player's development, particularly a young midfielder's development. So I just hope he signs the contract and he sees that he does have a pathway into the team here. It's just that for for the for the foreseeable future, it's going to be in rotation. You know, there are not many, if he wants to further his career, there are not many sort of top level clubs, I think, where he would go and he would just be treated as like a, a first choice starter because he's just, he's still so young, right? So I think patience is key. Yeah, well, it's, it's tricky too, because if you look at what Jacob Ramsey is only 20, I mean, to be fair, the Academy is producing some excellent players recently, and it's brilliant to see them actually get into the first team. Um, I saw someone on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. So apologies if you're listening and it was you that made this tweet, but they compared um, that John Grolish guy or whatever you want to call him there. I'm all serious. Jack Grealish. I don't know why I keep saying that. I, I, I sound more petty as I say that to be funny, but anyways, um, and his stats when he was uh, 20, of course, in the relegation season versus Jacob Ramsey now. And I think Jack Grealish, to be fair, was kind of bit part player in that season, had one goal. And I think that was against Leicester. And Jacob Ramsey already has three with an assist, I believe. Well, I guess he would have. Of course, he had a goal and assist yesterday. So that would make sense. Cool. Jesus. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where you look at him and he's main competition for an 18 year old. And to even go on with the whole patience thing, well, Christ, we had Grealish on the championship for a few years, and that was in his early 20s. I mean, you're 18. There's going to be lots of opportunities. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I mean, I mean, that's just society today, though, isn't it? They want everything so instantly. And, of course, I've been like that in the past with other things non-football related. But, like, it's just you sit back and you look at it, and you almost wonder, like, okay, what, so maybe you go to Dortmund for a few years or something like that. But again, are you even going to play much with that in that side either? Yeah. It's it's a really tricky one that, um, I don't know, I feel like Gerard can maybe talk him off a ledge per se in that instance. And I mean, hell, he's already brought in Coutinho. He's brought in uh, Digne, or I'm going to call him, or Luca Dean, whatever. I, I don't know. I've heard so many pronunciations um, that... Uh, I don't really know what's right these days, but nonetheless, um, it'll be interesting to see. And I don't think we're done this window. Of course, um, we brought in a young center back from, I think it was Dundee United. I can't remember his first name, but I think his last name's Kerr. It's Kerr Smith. Kerr Smith. Oh, Kerr Smith. There you go. I yeah. thought it was something Kerr. So anyways, that shows my research before the podcast and not using my notebook. But anyways, um, I, I don't think we're done. And there was an interview with Perslow as well. I don't know if it was before mm. or after the game. Uh, saying that he thinks there'll be a little bit more business that they won't comment on, of course, and that uh, Gerard asked if uh, base, or I wouldn't say asked, probably demanded um, that they bring the age overall of the uh, 
the squad up a little bit because I think last season we had the youngest squad overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can see that with the experience we're bringing in now. We're going for it now. And that, and that's yeah. great to see, but that does come with expectations as well. But anyways, let's go to our new left back, uh, Luca Dean, I guess I'll call him as most people do, uh, just to please the folks here and not call me a, a silly Canadian. But nonetheless, Tom, what did you make of his performance yesterday? Because when I saw it personally, it was a little shaky. Um, which is understandable. You're coming into a new team so quickly. Um, you're thrown right into the kind of the into the oven per se. Um, but really, as the game grew, he grew as well. Yeah, I mean, I thought he played very. I thought he played very, very well. Largely, you know, there was that the the, the big sort of negative. I mean, that's too harsh, isn't it? But like he dived in for that tackle, didn't even get booked, and I think that was maybe a case of. Um, I mean, it was neat play from whoever it was, the United player, to sort of shift the ball and get Dean to overcommit, but it's got to be, you know, he, he he's going to have gone out there thinking that, um, you know, making a good impression and stuff and that can often lead to, I think, slightly rash moments like that. But generally I thought he showed enough. I thought he was pretty solid, pretty solid defensively, especially as like, I, I, I like Matt target, but let's face it, my target got ripped to shreds in the cup game. Um, so it was definitely an improvement on that. And also going forward, Oh, brilliant. You, can, you can see his quality, like putting some dangerous balls in, but not just that, like the, the link up, his link up play on the left with, you know, Brendia drifted left a couple of times and some of Brendia's best moments actually, I thought came from the left number 10 spot. And then obviously when Coutinho and Chuck Maker are on as well, it reminded me a bit of remember um, targets link up with Grealish. Uh, yeah. Last season at times was, I think was making target no disrespect to him look better than he was having players of that quality to link up with. Whereas like Luca Dean looked like he'd played with players of that quality all his life, which I guess he has, right? The clubs that he's been at, he's a triple league title winner for God's sake. Um, I thought he going forward, the improvement over target, I thought was tangible. Like I really, that's got me pretty excited to be honest for the second half of the season and for the future. But it's not actually just that. Like one thing I liked about him as well a lot was that I thought he was a big, another way I thought he was a, looked a big upgrade on target is he was a, he's a targets never really struck me as a very vocal player. He's sort of a diligent do his job kind of player. Whereas there are a few times that the camera is on Luca Dean and whether the ball was out of play or the ball was in play or whatever the situation, Dean was sort of, you know, shouting orders at teammates or certainly being very vocal um maybe it comes with age it comes with the players he's played with the career he's had but I think we've added another leader because I think he was Everton captain if only stand-in captain for a bit I think so I think we've added like another leader to our team and to our squad um it's the caliber of player we want to attract I was really really pleased and honestly given the news about Rafa Benitez Mm -hmm. uh this morning as we're recording um morning our time UK afternoon time I should say um it makes me more pleased that we acted decisively to bring Luca Dean in because it sounded like the main the only real issue he had at Everton was not getting on with Benitez which doesn't doesn't sound like he's the only one to have had that issue so you know to have to have moved decisively and brought him in um and then Everton sack Benitez sort of makes me more pleased that we did the deal to be honest because I think if we'd have hesitated and Benitez had got sacked, then maybe suddenly Dean is thinking, actually, I'm going to be reinstated to the first team at Everton here. There's no need for me to look elsewhere. Um, so it shows the value, I think, of if you've identified a target that you think is going to improve your squad, just move for them. 
Yeah, it's kind of annoying that we have Everton next now. And I, I wish yeah. they kept him for one more week. Like, just let us get over that line. Let us get a what I assume would be a win. To be honest, I, I think they're in so much bother. We were quickly discussing this before we started recording. They have what, like, no director of football. I think they sacked like most of the physio team. Like, basically, the whole infrastructure of the club is basically out the door uh, before Benitez went because he wanted everything his way and to kind of reformat everything and. He's gone too, so it's probably going to be like Duncan Ferguson taking over in temporary charge or something like that till they figure themselves out. So um, yeah, either way, they're in tough. And um, I will say though, it, it is sad to see a club like Everton because I do throw them in the same hat as Villa as a a team that is very mm-hmm. historic, has a lot of history, of course, and um, it it is sad to see them in state and affairs. And unfortunately, it just it seems like they're where we were in 2015-16. Mm. It is, I agree. Like it is sad to see that from them, but like it's the football is a ruthless world. And while it's True. while it's sad to see them like that, I am also glad that we took advantage of it in the way that we did. Um, so sorry, Everton fans. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, I taught you know, looking ahead to the, the games coming up, it is a shame for us. I think the timing of the Benitez sacking because we'll get. I think we're we're like more likely now to get a fired up Duncan Ferguson version of Everton rather than the. I have no fucking idea what we're doing. Rafa Benitez version of Everton, which I was, I was looking forward to playing them. I have to say. Well, to be fair though, I fire, we, we all can remember some Duncan Ferguson moment where he's either probably been um, scoring or roughing someone up or whatever. He's, he's a very uh, intimidating being just looking at him. So I don't know if that means more physical side. Does that mean Jordan Pickford gets sent off from two fitting someone from 20 yards out? Um, I hope so, because maybe that makes our job a little bit easier or it gives away a penalty or something like that. But it will be interesting because, of course, next Saturday we do have Everton away. Uh, then we have Leeds at home on February 9th after a uh, what I would probably say is a well-needed break. Uh, shortly after on the 13th, of course, we travel to Tyneside to face Newcastle. We got Watford at home on the 19th, uh, Brighton on February 26th away, and Southampton at home on March 5th. So, Tom, very quickly, because I do want to get to our uh, our uh, Twitter three-word reviews here, but when you're looking at all those games, Everton, Leeds, Newcastle, Watford, Brighton, Southampton, how many points do you think we can grab out of those, to be fair? Because we don't even know what other additions we could potentially have. Yeah. I should say coming and goings, because, of course, El Ghazi left to, on loan to Everton. Um, so uh, he'll still have to wait to make his debut even longer now. Um, actually, actually, yeah. hell, makes sense. Yeah. I'll have to wait till after a break to even make it at this point. So that'll be interesting. But how many points do you reckon out of those? It's difficult, isn't it? Because then also to add to those six, I think you just named, don't forget that we also have Leeds and Burnley to be rearranged true from the christmas period and i think it's relatively likely that those two games you know we're out of the cup right um I, I think it's quite likely that those two games might be rearranged somewhere within that run so you're suddenly looking at an eight game run you know everton leads twice newcastle watford brighton southampton and then rearrange burnley game honestly obviously leads big win over west ham this weekend um, Everton, Sack Benitez, so all bets are kind of off with them going forward. And all of these other teams have the potential to cause problems. But if I'm Gerard and I'm Villa, you know, the fact is we're still four games without a win. It felt very good, the United game, obviously the comeback, but like we're four games, all competitions without a win now. 
given the nature of the comeback, the bringing Dina in, Coutinho, who knows what's to come in the transfer window. If I'm Villa and I'm Gerard, I'm looking at those eight games and I'm thinking there's no reason that we can't <clears throat> win all of those. That's not me saying that I think we're going to win all of those because we're definitely not going to win all of those. Um, but you've got to look at them and there's nothing to be afraid of other than, you know, teams fight. You know, there are a fair few teams in there who are going to be feeling like they're fighting for their lives. But thankfully, while we're in the second half of the season, we're not right at the business end. So we don't have that full on panic mode that can often lead to teams down the bottom getting wins. You've got to look at that run and think, we've got the quality to win all of those games. So I'd say if you're taking those eight games, it's at 24 points, it would be nice to get somewhere in the, it would be very nice to get somewhere in the ballpark of 18 points from those 24 games. I would say we just jinxed ourselves, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it, it does. It fills you with sort of trepidation, putting predictions on it like that. But seriously though, like what, you know, why, why can't we go out for those eight games and win, you know, certainly two thirds of them. That's got to be the target. You know, the target, the, the, the realistic target, I think has got to be, trying to avoid defeat in all of those because like stuff's going to happen, right? You're not going to win. You're not going to win all of those games. Um, but I, I'm looking at that and I don't, I don't see a team. I don't see a team in that run that I would be content with losing to. Do you know what I mean? Like you're never yeah. happy to lose, but sometimes you think, well, we got outclassed there or, you know, whatever, but you look at those eight games and you don't want to lose any of those games because you don't feel like we really should be losing any of those games. Um, so we'll just have to see, right? Well, it's interesting too, because, and I don't want to go too much further ahead, but at that, and you never know by the time you hit roughly mid-March against West Ham and where, of course, they just lost three, two, like you said, to Leeds. So um, if they're still in the top four hunt, it's a good measuring stick to kind of see where we are. Who knows? I mean, who thought we were going to go on a 10, 10 game run um, in the championship and get promoted. Wow, yeah. So, I mean, different, different caliber and different <laughs> circumstances and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. uh, major difference beating Sheffield Wednesday and then uh, in between them and beating Brighton and the way they're playing this season, especially. Yeah. So but you're right. You're right though. It's just, it's we're, we're, we're well past time now, I think to put a, put a really positive run together and you look at these games and you think now is the perfect opportunity to do that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, let's uh, let's go over to the Twitter three word summaries. I think there's like sixty three or sixty four of them, to be fair. Um, so I'm just going to run through a few of them now. Of course, you can tweet us at seventy five hundred Holtz um, if you want to get involved in the future. And again, thank you to everybody that gets involved. It's always fun to uh, read through these after um, or on the e- or yeah the evening after, I should say of a uh, villa results uh, regardless of what it is so we'll start with um from witten to rotterdam at avfc podcast so another villa podcast uh, chiming in saying Coutinho, Watkins, buendia brad wolf i'll take it lee b chuck plus Coutinho. um let's go to russ cook cometh the man uh Coutinho season philippe Coutinho masterclass uh mole says emiliana buendia stati um Macavilla second half Ramsey let's go to uh Techie Monkey always contributing these days uh Coutinho home limbs um D says gifted their goals JR didn't stop fighting and I'll just read a few more out now Z Payne Coutinho game changer uh Ian Whiting future is bright and we'll do 
two more here. Uh, Steve White, Villa, Faithful, Inspire. And we'll finish with, let's scroll all the way to the bottom and give some love to the bottom people here. Um, let's go with, um, I think it's IB says Ings, Watkins, no. Um, which I think we can all agree on. And of course we discussed earlier, but uh, anyways, Tom, very quickly, who is your uh, man of the match? Or I should say, who are you giving your match ball to for the draw against United? Um, obviously shout out to like Jacob Ramsey for the second half instrument on both goals. But for reasons we discussed earlier, I think it has to be Emi Buendia. I just, I, it was his best game for us so far, I thought. And he looks exactly like the player that we were hoping we had signed when we signed him. Players take a little bit of a while to adjust, but he looks ready to uh, carry that creative responsibility. Um, and I, I thought he was, he was just excellent. Um, so Emmy Buendia for me all the way. Yeah, fair enough. Um, special shout out to Emmy Martinez for celebrating with the fans after the draw, um, or I guess during the second goal after it went in. Um, love seeing that. That has nothing to do with the match ball or man of the match or anything like that, but I did want to mention it. And I just remember it was great that. to see, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could give it to Coutinho for coming on and inspiring it. To be honest, you could probably give it to Chukwameka for being a major part in the catalyst. And that you could give it to Jacob Ramsey as well for having a goal and an assist. Um, he looks like a hell of a player and, um, I love thinking of the financial value of some of these players and they're so young and what that means for the football club going forward, but it has to be Buendia. I mean, he just ran the show and again, this is the best game in a Villa shirt for Buendia and long may we keep saying that this season. Um, because I mean, oh, the man could literally just, I, I don't know. He creates pure magic. He could literally, um, I don't even know what a good reference would be. He's just amazing. So let's not make myself look stupid here. But one last thing here, Tom, before we go off, I've heard a lot of people kind of have this debate. What's the best Philip Coutinho chant Villa related wise you've heard so far? Oh, I saw a car how it goes, but I saw a good one on Twitter earlier. Oh, um, if only I could remember, I should have, we should, I should have was had it, it queued so we could play it. Was it the um, one with like a few guys around a table and they were yeah. saying something? Yeah. How did that go? That was really good. Um, yeah. Cause I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the wake me up before we go, go. Yeah. He's Grealish when you got Coutinho. I think we should leave, uh, leave Grealish's name out of chance about current <laughs> players in our future. I don't necessarily think that's the best look, but maybe that's just me being grumpy, but the Coutinho, I wish I could remember it. Oh, this is terrible. But everyone, I I encourage you to go and look it up because uh, I thought that ringing around Villa Park would be would be quite quite nice. Well, fair enough. I'll see if I can find it. I'll retweet it on the uh, seventy five hundred Holt Twitter feed. So if you're not already following there, if you do, uh, go check that. Hopefully, at some point in the next twenty four forty eight hours, hopefully I can find it or remember to do so at least. Um, the one I thought of off the top of my head that I haven't seen yet, but I thought would be a funny one to do. You know how when Mourinho, I don't know if he was already at United, but there was that like family, and they're like, "Oh, we love." Jose Mourinho, we have a song, a chant for him. And it was like that, Jose Mourinho, you are the special one. Whoa, whoa. You could do that with Coutinho. I know, you could do that with Coutinho. Yeah. So it'd be like, Felipe Coutinho, you are the special one. There's more to it, but anyways. Um, listen, yeah. listen, as long as, the, as long as the performances over the next few months keep us wondering about how best to honor him, then uh, things have gone well, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? If he nabs a few more goals here, um, I'm already debating on getting a... Uh, Coutinho shirt so uh maybe yeah. we'll have to coordinate that together actually so we could uh order some together if you want one too and save some money on those like good old uh 
um, import duty fees and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, yeah, if he keeps doing that, you know, what, at the end of the season, I'll, I'll come up with a decent song for him and I'll end the, uh, the, the next or this whole cast season, I should say, with another uh, remedy of my raps. So you never know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure everybody go. loves it. There you go. You heard it here first, guys. We'll have five listeners by that point. But anyways, um, anyways, guys, we'll wrap it up there. I think we've been going for nearly an hour or should just be under. But nonetheless, we hope I should say that you enjoyed it. Um, if you made it this far, of course, leave us a positive review on Acast, Apple Podcast. Uh, apparently, you can do so on Spotify now. So um, be sure to go over there. It just makes it easier for others to find us. Um, we'll have this all post on social media. So be sure to share around. Of course, you can find us on Twitter. Um, with the links and all those details that are included in the description of wherever you get this podcast, tweet the team at 7,500 Holt, email the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com. If you have any stories or anything you want us to read out, but we'll leave it there. And don't forget up the villa. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 